Um, we will now move on to the uh, panel discussion. Um, as Jeff mentioned, I'm Jamie Burrows. I'm Client Engagement Manager at the Global CCS Institute, and I will be moderating today's discussion. I am delighted to be joined by a panel of international speakers, um, all of whom are helping to build the CCS industry of tomorrow. So, Jamie Gentoso is the Chief Executive Officer of Lafarge Holcim US Cement. Ms. Gentoso is responsible for all cement production lines overseeing an organization of approximately 3,200 employees, 13 cement and grinding plants, and more than 100 cement terminals. Jamie's joining us from New Jersey today. Welcome, Jamie. Um, Zoe Knight is the Managing Director and Group Head of HSBC's Center of Sustainable Finance. Uh, Zoe set up and leads the center, which is a global think tank finding real economy and finance solutions for sustainability challenges, particularly in the climate change space. Uh, Zoe is joining us from London today. Welcome, Zoe. Torbjörg Clara Fossum is Vice President of Global CCS Solutions at Equinor. Torbjörg leads Equinor's carbon capture and storage strategy and is asset owner for Equinor's carbon capture and storage projects, including the Northern Lights project in Norway, which was mentioned earlier. Um, Torborg is joining us from Stavanger in Norway today. Welcome, Torborg. Thank you. Finally, uh, Vianney de Boucher is Vice President of Energy Transition Europe at Air Liquide. Vianney leads Air Liquide's business development activities on energy transition across the region. So Vianney is uh, joining us from Brussels today. Welcome, Vianney. Excellent. Thank you all for joining us uh, for today's panel discussion. So, as Jeff and Galoran outlined in their presentation, 2020 has been a year in which CCS has gained significant momentum. We've seen um, a number of big steps forward. So, to begin, I'd, I'd like to ask you to, to briefly outline your organization's near-term CCS activities and projects. And I'll perhaps ask Jamie to uh, kick off, please. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. I really appreciate being a part of this panel and, and the discussion. It's uh, quite interesting to see what's happening across the world, uh, not just here in the US. So uh, Lafarge Wilson is the world's largest producer of cement. Uh, and globally, cement is responsible for 7 to 8% of the world's CO2 production. Here in the US, only 1 to 2%. Um, and we are in a hard debate sector. Um, and that's why we feel we have to play a key role toward decarbonization and the development of CCS. Um, so we're partnering with like-minded organizations uh, to scale up our impact. Um, and across the globe, uh, we have more than 20 projects uh, with CCS going on right now um, throughout mostly Europe as well as North America. And here in the U.S., uh, we have a couple different projects going on. One of the most exciting ones is a consortium with Savante, uh, Total, and Oxy, where we will capture more than 2 million tons annually of CO2. Um, that project has now been in process for over a year. We're through the feasibility study, and we've just been granted a DOE um, grant uh, to move forward with engineering on it. So quite exciting for us, um, and we hope to see within the next three to four years the actual um, carbon capture unit in place on the cement plant. Um, we're also working on a little smaller scale, um, actually with our friends at Air Liquide, on a um, carbon capture unit at our plant in Whitehall. Um, and I'll get into that a little bit later as to why it's completely necessary. But we think partnerships in all of this are going to play a key role. Uh, because still, we talked about it a little earlier, uh, we need to be able to do it at scale and also economically. Uh, but we also have to find 
places to put the CO2 and products to use them in. So um, I think we're at the beginning of the cusp of a great revolution in carbon capture. That's great. Thank you, Jamie. Let's uh, move across to Torbjörg now. Can you tell us a little bit more about Equinor's uh, current CCS activities? Lots going on. Yes, thank you. And I, I also appreciate uh, the invitation to the panel. I have to, of course, start with a long shift that we heard from uh, Tina Bru as well. Uh, it has been quite a few important milestones this year. And we are developing this CO2 transport and storage part of this, I have to say, fantastic project. Uh, together with Shell and Total. And really, it is the transport and storage part that we call Northern Lights. Uh, so it's, it's a ship solution that can really gather CO2 from ports all over Europe. So with that, we can offer a CO2 transport and storage service to industry that want to decarbonize. Uh, and this year, we have drilled a well, we have confirmed a good storage. Uh, industries have made investment decisions. And we are now waiting, as Tina Bru said, on the on the Parliament's investment decision by the end of this year. So a great year. I, I think we can allow ourselves to be optimistic when it comes to the Parliament decision. And uh, the very, you know, interesting part with Northern Lights is that it has created a tremendous industry from industry in Europe that wants to decarbonize. So we are in dialogue with more than 50 industries that are looking into Northern Lights transport and storage service. And if you aggregate all those volumes on top of the other, those customers, potential customers, you will get to 50 million tons a year. So that is really 10 times higher than the capacity of the pipeline from the receiving facility to the injection template. So we really support what you also observe, that there is a moment of change for CCS. That's something we observe through Northern Lights. I would also like to mention, I mean, go from Norway to UK. Uh, we have lately taken an ownership in the endurance CO2 storage offshore UK. We are license holder together with BP and National Grid, and we are also part of uh, what we call the Northern Endurance Partnership. And this project is about storing CO2 from the industrial clusters, Humber and Teesside. And these two clusters, they stand for more than 50% of the industrial emissions in UK. Uh, so, um, we are very pleased to see the recent 10-point uh, plan from UK government as well. And we actually believe that uh, these projects that we are part of are able to deliver on the government's ambition of storing 10 million tons a year by 2030, and also then to deliver net zero clusters by 2040. So uh, that was uh, at least uh, some of the uh, important narrative activities from Equinor. Absolutely. And there's, there's further information around the, the Northern Endurance Partnership and some of the projects in the uh, Global Status Report itself. Um, Torborg, can I ask, when, all being well, when do you expect the Northern Lights facility to be operational? Uh, 2024. Q1 2024. Hmm. Excellent. Exciting times. Thank you very much. Okay. Fiona, can you tell us a little more about uh, Air Liquide's CCS uh, activities, please? Yes, uh, good afternoon to, uh, to everybody from uh, Brussels. Uh, Jeff was mentioning uh, uh, momentum for CCS uh, this year, and uh, I think we really subscribe to this, but we would uh, uh, maybe uh, say turning point. It's, uh, I think we really have the feeling that we are at a turning point. Uh, so many decisions, uh, groundbreaking decisions, need to be taken uh, in the next uh, 
12 months uh, uh, from uh, uh, government, from industry, uh, from policymakers. Um, we feel that this is a, this is a critical moment. Uh, maybe if we want to make it in other words, uh, it's a little bit we make it or we break it. Um, uh, so many things are underway. Uh, and um, at Early Kid, we've been uh, very active on all those topics for uh, many years. And we see ourselves as well uh, in uh, really uh, the, uh, uh, at the turning point, uh, preparing ourselves for uh, decisions. So um, feasibility studies is behind us, uh, pre-feed is behind, uh, feed is engaged, and we are um, looking for FID. Uh, uh, subject to a number of conditions, of course, uh, in particular on, on several projects uh, in CCS in Europe uh, that are mostly uh, related to our uh, hydrogen activity. And we'll come back on, uh, on this. Uh, but we are uh, been very active uh, with uh, Portos uh, since many years. Uh, we've been very active, and here this is a hub cluster um, concept as well. We've been very active in Antwerp, in the port of Antwerp, uh, with a consortium uh, that is uh, quite uh, large, uh, that is called Antwerp at Sea. Uh, and we are one of the uh, uh, founding members, uh, uh, leading actor of that uh, consortium with, uh, with others. Uh, back last year, we signed uh, um, in Oslo uh, NDA with, uh, with Northern Lights and have been engaged with many uh, different storage providers. Uh, so um, I think now this is the time. This is the time to take, uh, uh, to take decision. Uh, we hope uh, to be able to take them. Uh, there are still a couple of things to arrange, as you can imagine, and to fix. Uh, but um, yeah, that's a little bit uh, our mood uh, to, uh, to make it happen. Excellent. Uh, okay. so so yeah. again, it's, it sounds as though uh, there are projects in the background poised to move ahead, subject to uh, the correct policy conditions as such. Yes, of course, uh, uh, those are not easy uh, projects. I think we, we are all working on them uh, for many years, uh, many stakeholders uh, with a lot of passions uh, uh, and passion as well. Uh, we have to recognize that this is not an easy topic. Uh, is not an easy decision for first movers, uh, but we have to take our responsibility as well with uh, uh, with others. And for us, uh, uh, CCS, I would say, point out in two uh, directions. First is to, uh, I would say, for our own assets to decarbonize and enter into a world of low carbon hydrogen, as have been uh, uh, rightly uh, emphasized uh, at the beginning of the, web of the webinar. Um, it's a priority. It's a priority, of course, for us, uh, as hydrogen is uh, uh, one of our core activity, but it's a priority for, uh, uh, for Europe. Um, uh, it's been very uh, engaged and, and uh, very instrumental uh, in uh, an early believer, probably, <laughs> in the hydrogen world through the uh, engagement in the Hydrogen Council. Uh, probably some of these intuitions are becoming true now. Uh, and uh, uh, this was not obvious two or three years ago, um, even. So CCS is, is one way to, to get there. Uh, mm. And also through our, uh, I would say, engineering arm uh, at Early Kid, we have developed, uh, how can I say, cutting the edge uh, 
technologies throughout the chain uh, that are related to capture uh, or that are related to CO2 liquefaction. Mm -hmm. uh, we are also engaged uh, in a, a consortium uh, for CO2 uh, shipping through uh, CO2 loss. So it's important, uh, we, we all recognize that uh, significant improvements have to be done throughout the chain. And some of the technologies that we have uh, developed for years uh, to capture CO2 and hydrogen, we found out through exchanges with other uh, industries uh, in the cement industries, uh, in the steel industry, uh, in the re even in the, finding, in the refining industry recently, that those uh, uh, new technologies, uh, uh, by adapting them to uh, this new environment, can also deliver breakthrough um, efficiency. Uh, so one of the, um, uh, uh, I would say, uh, uh, leading product is called uh, CryoCap, which is a capture uh, technology that does not use steam, but that is based on electricity so that it's a perfect fit for, I would say, a long-term electrification of the industry. So if you combine uh, a capture with renewable energy, in the end, you really have an efficient uh, tool or, or technology for uh, the energy transition. So That's, uh, those technologies are available for, for third parties, of course, uh, and, and for ourselves. That's great. I'd, I'd like to bring... Um... So uniting at, at this point, we, we've heard uh, a lot about different projects, different uh, potential applications of CCS. How is the finance community starting to become involved in CCS projects, Zoe? Thanks, Jamie. And again, echoing my fellow panelists, delighted to be here. And it's a shame, obviously, that we're not seeing each other in person, but it's great that we've got so many diverse countries and people represented on today, so that's fantastic. Yeah, some of you may be thinking, why is the finance person on the panel with this CCS uh, conversation? But the truth is, momentum's not only increasing in the CCS industry, momentum's increasing across finance to understand how a decarbonisation strategy is going to play out across different industries and we're trying to get better at financing the change. So coming back to the questions here, you know, the scale of the problem is to reduce emissions by 55% over the next 10 years. That's why we need to be firing on all cylinders to actually mobilise both private capital and public funding for a whole range of activities that are going to get us to that near zero point. So the finance community has been fantastic at labelling green products and we know a lot about what the pure green activities are. What we're not quite so good at is knowing exactly how CCS fits into the mix as being a decarbonisation solution. And so the history around climate change thinking and mitigation has has, has led to many investors being slightly um, old-fashioned in the way that they think about it, 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 in applying it to power and not really thinking about the application in industry as a whole, and particularly in the likes of the steel sector or the use in, in decarbonising hydrogen, for example. So, you know, the reason that HSBC is so supportive of the Carbon Capture and Storage Institute work is that it really helps us to get that better picture of what industry is truly doing. Excellent. Thank you very much, Zoe.
That's great. Let's move on to the, the next general question here. So CCS is increasingly being recognized as an essential tool to enable uh, net zero emissions. How does CCS feature within the longer term decarbonization strategy of uh, your respective organizations? And I'll ask that question initially to Torbjörg. Yes, thank you. Well, uh, we have ambition of becoming climate neutral by 2050. Uh, and that means that we will have to remove the same amount of CO2 from the atmosphere as is emitted from the use of a product. And to achieve this, you know, CCS, hydrogen and renewable projects, they are all essential. Uh, and we regard CCS and hydrogen as, as complementary to renewable. In terms of hydrogen and CCS, we are approaching those markets that cannot be sold with renewable solutions alone. So we are approaching, you know, heavy industries, the clean, flexible power, maritime transport, as has been mentioned here before. And I would say that on a general basis, we are pursuing CCS along three pathways. The, one of them is to decarbonize our own emissions from oil and gas, and then uh, CCS as an enabler for hydrogen business. And then thirdly, it's this um, CCS future standalone business, which really Northern Lights is all about to offer a service to industry that want to decarbonize. And Northern Lights has really given us a lot of learning and also a lot of confidence that such a market will develop. Uh, and we believe that the most important now is projects to happen. Because these projects, they are so important, they will help to shape and develop, develop you know, the commercial and the regulatory framework, the incentives, and they will pave the way for CCS and hydrogen to scale up and cost reduction can then be achieved following the scale and the learning curve. So that is why our focus is on delivering projects uh, more than anything else. That's great. Thank you very much, Joaborg. And Jamie, how does uh, CCS fit within uh, Lafarge Wholesale's decarbonization strategy? Oh, well, I'd, I'd easily say it's fundamental. Um, we uh, Last fall, we committed uh, to net zero at Climate Week. Um, and I would say, though, you know, we didn't start the journey uh, just last fall, luckily. Um, it's a journey that this industry has been on uh, for some time. Uh, we've been working to reduce our carbon footprint for many years. Um, you know, getting to zero means, though, that carbon capture is absolutely necessary. Uh, we produce both process and combustion emissions. Um, the process emissions are what we call fact-of-life emissions. So our, the uh, main product that we use to make cement is limestone, which is CaCO3. And as we heat up limestone, uh, we need pre-lime in our process, and that drives off a of CO2. So the mere you know, function of making cement, we, we make CO2. Um, so in order to get to net zero, we will have to have carbon capture in order for that to happen. So we can reduce our, our um, footprint through you know, energy consumption, reducing our energy consumption, using alternative fuels, uh, using um, renewable energy, uh, using uh, replacements for cements or finding novel cements and things like that. Uh, but in the end, we will still use or need cementitious products and we will still use limestone to make them. So you know, having carbon capture available to us um, will be just fundamental to reaching our goals of net zero in the end. Absolutely. Excellent. We know that um, cement is, is fundamental to growth around the world as we build new cities, likewise steel, 
And these are, um, you know, industries that emit a lot of CO2 that, that need CCS. So thank you. Yane, how um, does CCS feature within the decarbonisation strategy of Air Liquide? Um, yes, Guloran said uh, it's not uh, uh, either or, but and, and, and I think that fits perfectly well uh, with, uh, with our own uh, uh, strategy. Uh, CCS is, is one of the pathways, uh, but certainly not the only pathway. Uh, there are many pathways. Uh, I think we cannot afford to uh, choose. We have to do many different things. Um, and it's also true for hydrogen. Uh, we have mentioned a lot of hydrogen, and that's true. Uh, CCS will enable to get uh, large quantities of uh, low-carbon hydrogen uh, uh, to foster the development of the hydrogen economy. Um, and uh, we always like to take, uh, but uh, it's not exclusive, and it's certainly not an excuse not to engage actively and seriously into green hydrogen. Uh, and uh, uh, at Early Kid, uh, uh, we are uh, contemplating both uh, pathways. Uh, we are uh, starting uh, uh, one of the largest uh, new generation of electrolyzers in, uh, in uh, Canada, 20 megawatts. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's not to play, it's, uh, it's to uh, engage actively into uh, the two main pathways for, uh, for hydrogen. Uh, but we have to recognize as well the question of timing and the question of phasing. I always like to take the example that if we take one initiative like uh, Northern Light, let's say five million tons, um, uh, if you want to produce uh, that quantity of hydrogen uh, uh, that uh, through blue hydrogen would, uh, would produce a, or would avoid five million tons of CO2, you would need to build a wind uh, farm uh, of 11 gigawatts. So you would need to mobilize the equivalent of the entire wind offshore program of a country like the Netherlands. And we know that Netherlands is, at, is one of the front runner in, uh, in uh, um, uh, wind energy. So um, do we wait that all this capacity is available and low cost to engage into low carbon hydrogen? I think the answer is no, we cannot wait. So we have to engage in both, uh, knowing the constraints um, in terms of cost and in terms of speed of getting enough renewable energy to get where we want on the long, uh, on the long term. So uh, that's really uh, either, uh, it's an end end um, uh, strategy. Uh, and um, also I have to say that we have other activities on the hydrogen. In the liquid, we produce uh, industrial gases that are energy intensive uh, activities like uh, oxygen and nitrogen and, and rare gases. And for this, uh, we are buying a lot of electricity. So we are uh, actively engaging uh, into uh, buying renewable energy and supporting um, uh, developers uh, uh, through uh, PPAs. And a lot of this has been published and will hopefully be uh, uh, complemented by other announcements this year. So uh, it's, uh, it's uh, uh, very broad uh, uh, and complementary uh, strategy for, for energy transition. Excellent. Thank you, Vianney. We're certainly seeing that more and more organizations are seeing CCS as, as a fundamental part of uh, their decarbonization strategy and indeed their business strategies uh, moving forward. So, Zoe, we'll turn to your views from the finance community. Considering 
decarbonisation, how is CCS being viewed uh, within the finance community? Well, it's a really good question, and I think I sort of alluded to this earlier, that there's a little bit of a trickiness in, in how investors think about CCS. So if, you, if I touch a bit more concretely on the numbers related to green finance products, so year to date, we've had 500 billion of issuance of green bonds, or green and sustainability linked bonds. Now, that's fantastic, but going back to the point of industry and an industry representing around 30% of global emissions, financing that transition is where the opportunity lies for investors, but they're not quite sure how to go about it. In terms of banks specifically, we're all thinking about what our own net zero goals look like. Um, and HSBC put out a commitment at the beginning of October that had an overarching ambition to help deliver a net zero economy and do that three ways. By becoming a net zero bank, i.e. worrying about our operations, but more importantly, thinking about our finance submissions. And this is where this category fits into the thinking. It's how do we assess the risk profile of the loans that we've got outstanding in relation to climate factors you know, how are those underlying companies going to be managing their own business models to take account of climate risk and, 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 and adapting to the strategy? And also how much of the, the finance submissions are we provisioning through that capital allocation? So we're having, the banks in particular, are having to think of the way that they finance activities in a slightly different way. Mm. And so that's why we need to understand more about where it all fits in. Now, the EU taxonomy that has been worked on over the last three years or so is really helping with that because that taxonomy classifies carbon capture and storage and gives various carbon intensity thresholds associated with activities to be able to help investors really categorize where the activity fits in on the scale of transition. So, you know, there's a whole variety of different things going on across both the asset owner, asset manager community, as well as the, as well as the, as the banks. And all eyes are focusing on COP26 next year because of the idea of having a finance element so intrinsically linked with the climate talks next year. So, you know, in short, there's a lot going on, at, but there's a lot more that we can do to, to get better at telling the world how CCS fits into company strategies and listening to my fellow panelists talk about what they're doing it, it is hugely insightful uh to to help us take take this this uh this topic forward absolutely so i think it's um really interesting within the institute to observe just how much more dialogue we are starting to have with the finance community. Um, I think we see the finance community showing much, much more interest in energy transition and technologies such as CCS. So it's uh, it's an exciting time. That's Lovely. Cool. Absolutely. Excellent. And uh, indeed, Zoe, you, you alluded to this um, recently in one of my final questions here. Mark Carney, the former Bank of England governor and the UK's, uh, sorry, the UN's special envoy for climate action and finance has said that net zero transition represents the greatest commercial opportunity of our time. So 
I'm interested in hearing from the, the panel uh, regarding what business models they see emerging to support CCS deployment around the world. And I'll ask that question initially to Vianney, if you could uh, talk a little around that. Yes. Um, uh, I think the first slide of, uh, of Gularan, which uh, I had not seen before, so uh, to be very honest, I was uh, um, very happy to see that uh, uh, you were referring to uh, a cluster and, uh, and hubs, uh, not only to hydrogen, but also to cluster and hubs. And uh, I think that's, that's a key, uh, that's a fundamental aspect. Uh, the projects that uh, we are um, developing in priority are projects developed in a consortium mode, in a collaborative approach, and in cluster and in hubs, uh, uh, in particular in, in or in, uh, in Rotterdam. Uh, if we look at the, uh, the example of Anverp, it's, it's, it's very clear. Uh, it's not one company alone that can engage into that, uh, uh, that drawing. Uh, it has to be done on, uh, on, on a cluster basis. There are obvious uh, many reasons that you have mentioned, economies of scale, and we have gone through a, a prefit and all this, so we know exactly what we are talking about in terms of economies of scale, and it goes down very quickly. That's clear. Yeah. Uh, the costs go down very quickly when you mutualize uh, uh, infrastructure. Uh, and uh, also uh, sharing the risk. Um, of course, there is uh, uh, always this question of a little bit chicken and egg, yeah? uh, how to kickstart an infrastructure when um, maybe not companies uh, can uh, start at the same time. And this is natural. So we have to be uh, uh, a little bit creative in order to find solution to kickstart uh, infrastructure at the scale of, or in a, in a scalable concept uh, with the right balance, of course, between over-investing at the beginning, but that is uh, fit for the long term while enabling a, a kickstart. And that's really the point where we are in, uh, in particular in, uh, in Antwerp with our uh, other colleagues uh, of the consortium uh, that, uh, that are well, uh, well known. Uh, and the, uh, the second aspect I'd like to emphasize on the, on the business model is certainly uh, the necessity to look for um, a network uh, of CCS uh, in Europe. Uh, and this is where we are certainly engaging now into a new uh, area. CCS has been developed up to now on the point to point, as was mentioned, but also inter-country uh, basis uh, within Norway or within Canada or within the US. And now, uh, are we going to succeed to make it cross-border? That's a challenge. Mm -hmm. That's a challenge. Cross-border, cross-companies, with contract in place, um, uh, a fair uh, sharing of costs, especially at the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, that would certainly require some um, reasonable behavior of everybody, <laughs> to put it like this, um, and joint efforts. Uh, so uh, if we want to make it happen, um, yeah, we have to, to, to work together at cluster level, at a different sync, uh, uh, to have a network of syncs, and also um, yeah, uh, find a way in, in challenging economics environment to make it happen. And, uh, uh, that's certainly uh, uh, 
in the interest of everybody, but it needs a dialogue yeah, for sure. Excellent. Vianney, I think you raise a great point about uh, the nature of clusters. We, we are starting to see more and more international clusters. And when we think about policy, when we think about regulation, that, that also needs to be international in nature in some instances. So that's great. Thank you. Um, Jamie, what, what business models do you see uh, emerging around CCS uh, there in the US? Yeah, so there's a lot of um, novel and innovative new products that are coming out, you know, just because of the need to consume our own CO2, um, especially through mineralization. So in the in the building products industry, um, concrete itself actually consumes CO2 throughout its life, right? So through the carbonation process, which is literally just the mineralization of CO2. So we're seeing some promising technologies out there where um, people are taking, you know, crushed uh, concrete, old crushed concrete. Um, and actually, you know, um, putting putting in contact with CO2 um, in the right atmosphere, and it's actually creating more aggregates and such. And then these these products can be used back in concrete, and so we're seeing actually the consumption of CO2 in it. Um, we're actually also engaged uh, with a company named Solidia, uh, producing a, a cement that, in its curing process, um, actually utilizes CO2. So it doesn't harden like the normal uh, concrete. It actually needs CO2 to harden. Um, this has actually kind of created a little bit of a chicken and an egg we, that was mentioned earlier, uh, where there really isn't CO2 on the market for us to utilize to, for this product. So that's where we've engaged with a partner with Air Liquide um, to look at actually making it fully circular where we can capture the CO2 as we make Solidia cement and then um, sell it alongside the cement and use it to cure the concrete. Um, so some exciting things that I think that are happening with that, and I think that we'll start to see more um, innovative type products come up where we can, you know, start to utilize our CO2 um, in the construction industry, actually after it's captured off of our plant. Excellent. So, Jamie, are you starting to see really a market for low carbon cement products developing there in the background? <laughs> Well, you know, it's it's. I think it's been a long road for the construction industry. I, I started with Wholesome 20 years ago, and at that time, we were really starting to push the use of supplementary cementitious materials, low carbon cements, and blended cements, and things like that. Um, and I think really now we're starting to uh, people are opening their eyes and starting to look for them, so that market is starting to grow. Um, and truly, when you look at more so, uh, we look at the large procurers like the government, right? The government, you know, 40% of cement goes into infrastructure. So if we can get our governments to start to uh, push the use of low carbon cements, that's where we can really start to see the use of them grow and the demand grow overall for the, the, for the market as a whole. Excellent. Thank you very much. Let's uh, turn to Shawbjörg. So if you could uh, just talk a little about some of the business models that you're seeing uh, emerging uh, around CCS. Really interested to hear more about things like um, Northern Lights, where Equinor yeah. is potentially storing for third parties. That's uh, a really interesting development. Yeah, and there is actually quite a lot of learning from Northern Lights. I mean, when we talk to the different industry, we also get better insight in what is driving their projects. And uh, what we have learned is that carbon pricing is one piece of the puzzle, but it's not the only one. Uh, it, it's really a combination of drivers, such as voluntary ambitions of climate reduction, also customers willing to pay for a low-carbon product, and also public procurement of low-carbon products. So it's really a combination of what we see. I would also like to give an example from another project than the Northern Lights project. It's a 
it's a German project that we are uh, looking into to, together with ThyssenKrupp Steel uh, mm. and evaluating the opportunity to use blue hydrogen as a reduction agent in the steel making, replacing coal. So, of course, if, if uh, ThyssenKrupp Steel can replace coal with hydrogen, that can dramatically reduce their emission. But it would also increase the cost of the steel, obviously, uh, and it would uh, become like twice as expensive. Uh, however, this steel ends up, you know, like as an example in a passenger car. And mm -hmm. one ton of steel in a passenger, passenger car increased the price of that car with around 200 euro. And that's not a lot. So I, th I think quite a few would be willing to pay 200 euro for a car if you knew it was made of a clean product. So hmm. I think such market markets are starting to, to exist and, and definitely can evolve. But in general, I would say that uh, the development of business model will rely on all of us. It's uh, really a massive collaboration across and together. It's industry and energy companies, it's citizens, it's the finance community, and it is the government. So all these going together, collaborating together mm. is really key. Excellent. And presumably in, in that ThyssenKrupp example, fundamental to the blue hydrogen production would be uh, a technology such as CCS to deal with uh, the CO2, yes. to store the CO2 that, that is produced. Excellent. Yeah, Jorgel, can I ask you just in, in terms of Equinor in general, um, presumably you, you see a, a potential market for handling CO2 for these third party emitters uh, growing um, in Europe and I, I guess potentially worldwide. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. So that's, uh, that's one of the key learning from Northern Lights. I mean, we've mapped that there are uh, like 300 million tons of CO2 in Europe that are in reach for our storage facilities. And, and uh, we see the interest from the industry. So we definitely think that there could be a market, but, but still, I mean, showing an interest to realizing a project, it's not a walk in the park. It will need, I mean, the first projects, they will need some funding schemes. Uh, but, but we think it, uh, there will be, there will be a market and, uh, Perhaps the first phase will be, you know, a regulated market because it is state subsidies. But uh, but uh, looking beyond that, we, we think uh, also other models can evolve. Excellent. Well, we're excited to see how those uh, various projects develop, Torbjörg. Um, Zoe, what, what enablers are required by the finance community to provide the, the capital that's needed for additional deployment of CCS? We, we've heard today about the need to scale up CCS deployment. And obviously there, there are various projects in the background that are progressing, moving forward. What does the finance community need? Yeah, so I think what today has told us is that actually there are projects that are quite a long way down the line in terms of viability and, and actually are already being operationalized as it were. I think what's the, the, the challenge going forward is commercializing everything else and really identifying the clusters where it makes sense mm. for everybody to collaborate and get involved. And that will de-risk projects so that it brings finance along more effectively and, and, and makes the whole sort of emerging infrastructure around CCS a lot more sort of viable and, and we can accelerate the collaboration and, and build from the learnings of, of, of everybody and, and all of that great stuff. 
I think you know the other enabler for the industry, for the finance industry as a whole, is 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 getting a lot more um, of our risk colleagues involved with the companies that we're already servicing to to understand how those projects are going to work because what we can sometimes find is that there's a bit of a bottleneck when you know the finance application goes through and and the, and the structuring starts getting in progress and then then there's a risk committee somewhere that may not be as um, as, as, as advanced in their understanding of the particular state of the technology, if it's, for example, attached to hydrogen or if it's in a cluster or, or how it's all going to work. And that can slow the whole process down and maybe means that things aren't really getting priced properly because the risk isn't being taken into account accurately. So I, I, I think that will change very quickly because of the efforts that we've talked about in the financial system so the taxonomy also the task force on climate related financial disclosures which is encouraging companies to report on on how they're addressing climate risks um uh, so all of that coming together will really speed up the flow of finance into these projects um but that said you know it it does need to happen a lot quicker so all of us here are, are working and working on how we can really do that how we can get this message out to a wider audience how we can demonstrate that there is commercial viability in different activities and also the most important thing for the finance community is demonstrating this co2 avoidance or the impact of of benefit that uh, that the project's bringing to the climate debate excellent Sorry, thank you very much. Uh, I'm conscious of time, so I think we have to end our panel discussion there. I would just like to say, Jamie, Zoe, Torborg, Diani, thank you so much for the insight that you have shared today, and also for your leadership in helping with uh, CCS deployment around the world. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Great. So if I could have the, the final slide, please. <laughs> Okay, so we've reached the end of our launch event today. Um, thank you very much for joining us. You can download a copy of the Global Status of CCS 2020 report from the Institute's website, uh, www.globalccsinstitute.com. We will be making a recording of today's webinar available through the website in the coming days. If you'd like to learn more about uh, the latest CCS activities, you can follow the Institute on social media through LinkedIn or Twitter. To learn more about Institute membership or our consultancy capabilities, please email us using info at globalccsinstitute.com. Uh, in closing, I'd just like to again thank all of our speakers today, and I'd like to thank you, our audience, for uh, joining us and for your interest in CCS. We look forward to seeing you again in the future. Thank you.